0: It's a chapter I've thought about for a long period of time, not just in the last couple of weeks, but even last year. First Chronicles chapter twenty-one is a dark and scary chapter, and it may be a chapter that many of us are just not really familiar with in the Word of God. But it certainly is one that we need to consider. Last week I preached a sermon called Get Behind Me Satan, and we talked about really spiritual warfare that uh, we have an enemy, and our enemy is real, and what he desires, he desires to destroy us. And uh, I referenced this text in First Chronicles chapter 21 and talked to someone else. Actually, Bud mentioned it in his class uh, this past Wednesday night. And so let's go ahead and talk about First Chronicles chapter 21 in a little bit more depth. First Chronicles 21 is not merely a chapter that Christians may talk about. It's a chapter that even some skeptics talk about. Because they'll look at 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and compare it to really the parallel text in 2 Samuel chapter 24. And what they will attempt to do is say, well, there are some clear. Bible Contradiction. So how do you go about reconciling some of these things that we find? And so it's a valuable lesson. This chapter is just a fascinating chapter with respect to uh, King David and uh, the devil and God. And there's just so many valuable lessons that we can learn from it. And so tonight... Uh, we're going to talk about the census that turned deadly. So here's what I want to do. I want to begin by just merely reading the story. Maybe you already read it uh, this afternoon. If you haven't read it this afternoon, that's okay. I want to begin by reading the story, and I want you to consider what's happening here. And as I'm reading this, I want you to see, do you have any questions? Is there anything that stands out to you in this story or that catches your eye? Look at First Chronicles 21 and read with me, please. The Bible says this, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, and bring me word that I may know their number. Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Joab gave the number of the senses of all the people to David. And all Israel were 1.1 million men who drew the sword. And Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. God was displeased with this thing. So he struck Israel. David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now, please, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. How would you like to be David at this moment? All right. I'm going to offer you your punishment. What do you want? Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Take for yourself either three years of famine, or three months to be swept away before your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, Therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. How would you answer that question? It doesn't look like a win-win situation, does it? What are you going to do? Which, which one are you going to pick? Let's keep on reading. Let's see what David did. David said to Gad, I am in great distress and rightfully so. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell and God sent an angel to to Jerusalem to destroy it. This is what really got my attention reading this. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel. Think about that. It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. How scary would that have been? Or you see the destroying angel with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces. David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done them very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O oh Lord, my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Ornan was threshing wheat. So everybody's seeing this angel, this death angel, this destroying angel. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord for the full price. You should give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. Verse 23. Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my Lord, the king, do what is right in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. I'll just take it. All right, let's do this thing. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering, which costs me nothing. I'm going to pay this price. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven. On the altar of burnt offering, the Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword back in its sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness and the altar of burnt offering, were in the high place at Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before it before it to inquire of God for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord brothers and sisters we see that there is another realm a spiritual realm that angels indeed are real that the devil is real obviously the power of God is real and we see an amazing story a scary story of the sinful behavior of King David. Now, as I was reading this, did you have any questions that popped into your head? I got a lot of questions. Who's going to help me out? We'll see if we can help us out, help one another out tonight, all right? Let's talk about some questions that people often have from this story. Uh, there are at least, uh, I have three questions that I want us to consider, and certainly there are more. The first question is this. Will the clicker work? That's question number one. Oh yes, and the answer is yes, it will. Here's the first question. What was so wrong with David numbering the people? Have you thought about that? What's the big deal with David numbering the people? The numbering of the people was something that was done all throughout the Old Testament. I want you to go back to Numbers chapter one. And you think about the book itself, the book of Numbers. And, and we see that this was something that was that this was something that was often done. Look at Numbers chapter one and look at the first three verses in Numbers chapter one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first of the second month and the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel by their families, by their fathers, households, according to the number of names, every male head by head for 20 years old and upward. Whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their army. So this was something that God had authorized the people to do. And what we find in verse 17 Uh, Moses and Aaron, they carried out the command of God. So Moses and Aaron took these men who had been designated by name. And they assembled all the congregation together on the first of the second month. Then they registered by ancestry in their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. So number one, we see that that this census idea was being done in the days of Moses. Look over in chapter 26 of Numbers chapter 26, and I want you to notice uh, in verses 2, 3, and 4, we see another occasion of this. In Numbers chapter 26, verses 2 and 4, this was uh, after a plague had taken place because of the wickedness of some of the men in Israel. In Numbers chapter 26, um, God told Moses and Aaron, he said, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel from 20 years upward, I'm sorry, old and upward by their fathers, households, Whoever is able to go out to war in Israel. So Moses and Eleazar, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward as the Lord had commanded Moses. It was actually Moses and Eleazar. So again, we find another example. So the numbering of the people was not inherently evil, but we get maybe some more clues in the book of Exodus. Look over in Exodus chapter 30, and I want you to notice Verse number 12. And we're going to read a couple of verses here in Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse number 12. And I think this may help us to begin to see what may have been going through the mind of David as he is numbering the people. In Exodus chapter 30 in verse number 12, we get some more instruction or direction from God. When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. Maybe... Maybe we're starting to hit on something. You see what he just said? There's going to be some money involved with this census. There's going to be some money that's going to have to be given. He said that they each shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them. So that there will be no plague among them when you number them. So there's some instruction about this to avoid certain things. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give half a shekel. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. I think that's helping us to see maybe where this sin was involved with King David. The question is, what did David do that was wrong as he numbered the people? There's no question about this. That Joab knew that this was wrong, it was sinful. That David knew that this was wrong, it was sinful. That God knew this is wrong, this is sinful. So there's no question about that at all. I think there are three things for us to think about. Number one is this. David certainly had sinful motives. There's no question about that. There is some sinful motive that David had when, when numbering the people. Now, we're not giving all the details about this, but it could have been pride. Did David have this mindset of, look at my kingdom? Hey, let's see how big my kingdom really is. Go ahead and let's number the people. Number two, it could have been that David kept the money that was gathered from the census. We just read this. Who was the money to go to? The money was belonged to who? It belonged to the Lord, and so maybe there was some something there that King David took or kept that was never supposed to go to him. But maybe the third thought or option is the most powerful. Most likely, it was sinful in the fact that God did not authorize this census. He authorized it to Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 1. He authorized it to Moses and Eleazar in Numbers chapter 26. But when David is doing this in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, God didn't tell him to do this. And there's something that even Joab recognizes is sinful and wrong about this. So I think it could be a combination. We're not given explicit details about why this is sinful, but make no mistake about it, it was sinful. David acted without permission from God, and I think we could say he acted because of wicked motives in his heart, and maybe that money played a role in that. That's the first question that I had about what made this census such a terrible thing. A second question that people have who was it that made David number the people? Now, this may seem like a weird question, but go over to go back to 1st Chronicles chapter 21. Go back there and let me just read verse number 1 and I want to show you something here. In 1st Chronicles chapter 21 and verse number 1, the Bible says, "Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel." So when you read from 1st Chronicles, no question about it. It was, it was Satan who, who moved or incited him. Now, go to 2 Samuel chapter 24 and look at verse number 1. This is a parallel text. In 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse number 1, the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse number 1, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Well, hold on a second. Who incited David? Who moved David? First Chronicles 21 says it was the devil. 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says it was God. So is there a contradiction here? Did the writers mess this up? Do we have what exactly happened? Well, number one, let's be cl- clear that there is no contradiction here. I don't believe there's any contradictions in the word of God. Number two, I want you to think about, let's look at these individuals, David, Satan, and God. What's going on in the mind of David during this time? I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to number the people. I don't care what Joab has to say, and although God has not told me to do this, I'm going to do it. That's what's going on in his mind. Would you agree with that? That's his mindset. What is the devil doing at this time? David, that's exactly what I want you to do. Yeah, go ahead and number the people. This will be great. That's exactly what I want. And this senses, when you look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, this senses in verse number 8, it took nine months and 20 days. So this wasn't something that was going to be done in a day or a week or a month. This has taken almost an entire year. And so the devil is probably rooting David on, yes, keep going, keep going, do this. That's what's going on in his mind. Well, what's going on with God? David, what are you doing? I've not authorized this. I have not told you to number the people, but I will allow you to do this. I don't want you to do this, but I will allow you to do this. And I think that's how we reconcile these passages in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21. The words incited and moved, I believe, are the same, and so the difference lies with the sense in which the word is used. Satan moved or tempted David more directly. Well, God is spoken of as having incited David because he allowed such temptation to take place. God would never, and I think the mindset some people have is, you know, was God kind of just sticking his foot out so David would trip and do this? No, God would never do that. And God does not want his people to sin and he's not going to put them in a situation to do something wrong, nor is he going to urge them to go ahead and do something wrong. You guys with me with that? God would never do anything like that. We know his nature. And so however we come down on this, we have to understand this was not something that God was pushing King David to do. Rather, he did allow this whole situation to take place. And I want to read something here. It says the Hebrews often used active verbs to express not the doing of the thing, but the permission of the thing which the agent is said to do. And what we find throughout the Bible is that God's allowance of something to take place often is described by the sacred writers as having been done by the Lord. And I think a good example of that is found in Job chapter 1. Remember Job chapter 1? We see, a, again, another example of this spiritual Curtain being pulled back, the devil uh, came before the Lord in Job chapter one. God and the devil they have this conversation, and God uh, tells him about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And and the devil says, Listen, if you if you touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And Job one and verse twelve, then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And we know what happened in the rest of chapter one. Job's going to lose everything. Now look at chapter two and look at verse number three. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Here it is. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Well, when you read that it sounds like God is the one that put all this affliction upon him, but that that's not the case. It was the devil that did all of that, and yet it was God who allowed or permitted that to happen. And so understanding that becomes really powerful. In fact, we see this same language in Job chapter 42 at the very end of the book in verse number 11. And this is important because There's no contradiction in 1 Chronicles 21 and 2 Samuel 24. There's no contradiction at all. David wanted to do this. Joab was not going to stop him. The devil was certainly behind influencing him. Yeah, you keep on going. You go ahead and do this. And God, certainly God did not want him to do this. This was sin. He didn't want him to do this, but he would allow this to happen because that's what David wanted to do. In Job chapter 42 and verse number 11 after All of these events had taken place and and Job would eventually be restored. It says in verse 11, then all of his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. You see what that sounds like? The Lord had brought on him. And yet we know that it was the devil that had brought all of that upon him, although God had allowed or permitted all of those things to take place. And so understanding this becomes really important. Israel suffered as a direct result of Satan's workings in the life of King David, workings that God allowed. All right. And so if you have questions about that, uh, please let me know. Uh, Go back to 2 Samuel because there's something else, too, that is very interesting in verse number one that may give us some more indication of why God allowed this to happen and how everything worked out. God was not trying to trip David and get David to sin. He wasn't doing anything like that. But he certainly would allow David to go down this path if he so chose to go down that path. David had men trying to stop him. Don't go down this path. He had Joab, please don't do this. And yet David would recognize his sin, but by then it would be too late. Something else that stood out to me in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1. Now again, the anger of the Lord had burned against Israel. That's interesting. It appears uh, that that God was already upset with Israel. And it may be that he was just going to use this occasion to carry out his judgment against the people of God. There's something there too as well. And so as we gather all of this up, who was it that made David number of the people? David made this choice. And I love the language of King David. He sounds just like Judas. I have sinned. He didn't blame God. I'm the one that did this. And certainly the devil was there influencing him and God allowed this or permitted him to do this. And so understanding that will help us to understand There are no contradictions in this story. So that's the second question that I think a lot of people have. Let's look at question number three. Why was the punishment from God so harsh? I don't know about you, but that's a question that I had. You go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And it's just a scary thing to really think about with how God just, you know, through his seer Gad, David you get to choose you did this and so now you get to decide so here's one verse 12 either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes and as i'm reading this and thinking about this don't you think david should have picked number two don't you think that would have been fair because who did this it was david And God said, look, you can have three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you. But David didn't choose that. He said, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. And after three days, 70,000 people died. So I think a lot of people have this question. Why was the punishment from God so harsh? I have in my notes, this is the easiest question for me to answer, and at the time, the hardest. Because when you really think about this, and this is my answer, God gives no explanation as to why he gave David these three options for his punishment. Do you see any explanation in the text? There's no explanation in the text. And not only that, we are given no details about why God responded in this way. Uh, with these punishments that he offered, it's a powerful thing to really think about. But we have another occasion about a situation like this where someone was searching for answers. Remember who else that was? Job. Why is why are you doing? Why is this happening to me? And God wouldn't directly answer his question. Instead, he would ask Job. I think seventy questions. He wouldn't directly answer his question, rather he asked him 70, about 70 questions. So that's a question that I have, and the the, the short answer, and I guess the long answer, is God does not respond. He doesn't give us any details. He doesn't tell us exactly why. And even David had questions about this. In verse 17, is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people that they should be plagued. So even David had questions about this, and yet I struggle even with what David said there because he picked that punishment. He could have picked punishment number two, where it would have just been him fleeing and being on the run. I think those are three big questions that people have, and that's the best I can do right now with answering those questions. And if you have questions about the questions or my answers, please let me know. I think the text helps us out with with answering some of these questions, and maybe we just don't always have the full answer. And not, not, not everything is always going to be fully revealed. But this this chapter in First Chronicles twenty one is just a fascinating chapter. It's just a, it's a scary chapter. Uh, thinking about this angel with a sword, and David and these other men seeing this angel, and seventy thousand men being killed in three days. And while I have a lot of fascination about this chapter and even questions about this chapter, uh, we've got to have some application. What is the so what? what is, how is this going to affect you and me? And I want us to think about that with the rest of our time. I, I think there's a number of applications. We talked about the devil last week. Uh, we talked a little bit about King David. I want to talk a little bit about God. And I want you to think about what can we learn from First Chronicles chapter 21 and the senses that turn deadly. Number one, I think one of the biggest points of application is this. That God examines the hearts of men. Would you agree with that? God examines the hearts of men. We know that David's heart was not right. God knew his heart. One thing to think about, too, is imagine what the nation of Israel is thinking. Where is this coming from? And why are so many people now all of a sudden dying? 70,000 people. I'm sure they had some questions, too. And maybe they had some questions for King David. But they didn't have maybe all the answers as well. But God certainly knew what was in the heart of David. God knows our hearts, which means that I can't hide anything from him and neither can you. You know, people often say, well, God knows my heart. And that is true. God does know our hearts, which is a good thing and which can also be a scary thing. Because this idea of God knowing our hearts, you're absolutely right. He does know our hearts. And he knows the motives behind the things that we do. And again, numbering the people on the surface, what's the big deal about that? But no doubt about it, God knew what was going on in the heart of David. He couldn't hide anything from God, and neither can we. That's the first thing I think we need to take away from this study. The second thing, and this may be hard, but God doesn't have to explain his actions. We're not given any details about the the type of punishment and those options uh, that God gave, he punished David and Israel again we don 't have uh, really details about why or you know these types of punishments and sometimes I think people can get upset when they see the wrath of God. We see the wrath of God and this angel that had this sword in his hand, and as I said in verse seventeen, even King David. Had some questions. Some have said this that it may have been to, due to Israel's multiple sins and the rebellion against God throughout the centuries. That could have been the case. And maybe it was a lesson to the people and maybe a lesson for us. Some have suggested that people will suffer when their leaders go astray. I think there could be some application there. Everything rises and falls with leadership in nations and churches and homes. There's a great deal of, 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 of pressure and doing the right thing as a leader. And King David certainly did not do the right thing. But those are just some different options and opinions. Here's what we know about God. While we may not have the, the exact answer, and while God did not fully explain why he did what he did, we know that David was going to be punished, and we know that it was very harsh. Here's something that we do know. Whatever God does is always right. Whatever God does is always right. And that's hard for us to think about or maybe hard for us to grasp. But remember Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 25. He he, he knew that God is a righteous judge. Everything that God does, all of his motives are pure in nature. He's motivated by love. He's motivated by love. And so as we think about our father in heaven and read stories like this and other stories in the word of God, we need to always remember that whatever God does, he's all he always has the best. He always has the right motives behind what he is doing. And we may not have all the details, which means that we are going to have to trust Everything that God says in his word, even if we don't have all of the answers, that's something powerful for us to think about. And there's a third point that I want you to think about as we wrap up this study this afternoon. This goes back to our theme. Did you pick up on that? Did you see it in the story? God is merciful. I think I know why David didn't take option number two. I think I know why he didn't say, I don't want to be on the run for three months. Go back to First Chronicles chapter 21. This is powerful. You see, David desired to fall into the hands of God rather than men, because he knew something about God. He knew that God is merciful. Go back and look at verse 13. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of men. David knew that punishment was coming. No doubt about it. He was not going to get away from this punishment or this action. But he also knew, I'm going to be punished, but let me fall into the hands of God. Those first two choices God offered would have made David depend upon men in some shape and fashion. David wanted to fall into the hands of God because of his mercy. And that's what we talked about this morning. That our God is merciful and that he is loving and he is compassionate. And even after David did such a foolish act where 70,000 people lost their lives, God was still merciful to him. And you can say God was still merciful to who? The entire nation. Because at the end of the story, well, that's what we see. That the angel is going to put his sword back in his sheath, and and there's not going to be any more destruction that is going to take place. God would call off that punishment. Did David deserve that mercy from the Lord? He went nine months knowing that he did something that he should not have done, knowing that probably this was going to have an impact upon everyone. He didn't deserve that mercy from God, and yet God would still give him mercy. You know, when you think about this story, there's so much application in here, in particular with the mercy of God. We don't deserve God's mercy, and we talked about the Israelites this morning. We don't deserve the mercy of God, but he still grants it to us, even when we should be destroyed. I think that's a powerful concept for us, that We should never take for granted our God in heaven. We see his mercy. We see his love. We see his wrath. We see his power on display in this story. And indeed, my friend, God is awesome. I think about my language sometimes and how I describe certain things as awesome. When I really think about it, God is the only one that is truly awesome. And I think there's something else for us to think about as we consider our Father in heaven as we wrap this up. Go to the very last verse and first Chronicles chapter 21. And I want you to notice what David said here. in First Chronicles 21 and verse number 30. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord. There was fear in the heart of David. And certainly David knew the, the love of God. He knew the mercy of God and yet there was fear because of this angel that he had seen and and the death that came because of God sending this angel. And I think there's something important for us there, that we truly need to fear God. Yes, we need to have reverence and respect for God, but we also need to understand just how awesome God really is and that there should be a sense of of fear in the fact that he is almighty, And he is God and we see this power on display, which helps us to see that the way that even God looks at sin is a way that we should never just kind of flippantly just say, well, it's not a big deal. It's it's okay." No, God was very God was very serious with how he viewed what David did in this situation. And there needs to be some some fear uh, when it comes to God that we yes, we respect him, we honor him. But we also need to understand that he truly is awesome. And David would recognize that. And that's something that we need to recognize as well. The point of this, as we wrap this up, is that we need to make sure that we're walking in the paths of righteousness. And that we need to trust him, even if we don't understand certain things that may happen. And even when we do fall short, we need to rely upon his mercy and grace each and every day of our lives. And if you need his mercy, now is the time for you to take action. His mercy is available for everyone through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're willing to repent of your sins and to put on Christ in baptism. I appreciate your attention this afternoon. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.